Welcome to Miked Up, episode two here in week two, coming at you live from our studio in Chicago, Illinois, on a beautiful, rainy, and cold Tuesday night. Drew, how are you? Can't complain. How about yourself? Uh, I am doing fantastic. As always, you've got your two hosts here today, Drew Robinson and Michael Roser. Uh, For the fans at home that are tuning in, uh, one, we appreciate you, and two, uh, little heads up, we've got our first official mic'd up guest coming on and joining us for next week's episode. Uh, So tune in. We've got a fitness and athletics coach, uh, strength and conditioning instructor over at Nutrier High School, as well as a uh, licensed CrossFit instructor at Wilmette CrossFit. So he's going to be sharing uh, some insights and some next level uh, takeaways when it comes to health, wellness, and nutrition. Uh, so we're excited for that episode next week. Going to be live from the uh, Wilmette CrossFit box, as they call it. Uh, absolutely. Excited to pick his brain on um, different training methods and see his thoughts regarding health and fitness. I know that's a pretty hot topic these days coming out of the COVID pandemic. Uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I didn't know if you were excited to pick his brain or if he'd be excited to be picking yours. <laughs> uh, you, we definitely consider ourselves amateurs, uh, maybe even experts when it comes to that field, but uh, definitely going to be awesome to chop it up with him for a bit. So, Especially CrossFit. I mean, I, I've always been intrigued by it, and I'm excited to learn how, how that whole world works because I've never really been a part of it. I know you've done a couple CrossFit workouts, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Oh no, it's going to be a great time. The gym setups there, and and I, and I was being serious when they when I was saying earlier that they call it their box. So um, that that's what they call their gyms in CrossFit. And, no pun intended. <laughs> um, but yeah, with that being said, uh, we're going to go ahead and also remain focused on the present because we've got an episode to deliver here uh, before the CrossFit special next week. Um, but we did want to let everyone kind of know what is uh, in store over the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, Drew, obviously episode two here underway. And uh, believe it or not, I feel like there's actually quite a few significant developments that have uh, happened since we spoke last. Most pressingly, if, uh, if that is a word, but uh, most importantly, the NBA Finals. The Denver Nuggets are now officially world champions. Um, Nikola Jokic cemented himself in NBA basketball legend status, uh, I would say. Came out of there with the most efficient NBA Finals from a player efficiency rating standpoint uh, in NBA history. So stands alone now with that title and that accolade under his belt. Uh, And I will say, when it comes to this Denver Nuggets team, I'm excited to hear your thoughts. I know we both obviously have a soft spot in our hearts uh, for Jimmy Butler, who you're going to have to look long and hard to find someone who's got more dog in him than Jimmy. But the kid from Thumble could not get it done, unfortunately. And the Nuggets, I know you're a big fan of Jokic and Jamal Murray's games. could be a potential destin or uh, could be a potential dynasty. dynasty yeah, dynasty yeah. in the making. Uh, we'll see, obviously, what the future holds. But when it comes to how that organization was able to go ahead and finally get the job done and get over the hump and actually bring home a title to Denver, the first in franchise history, I believe it's forty-seven years uh, since they began as a franchise. So better late than never. But I do think it's really cool how that team is really the antithesis and the exact opposite of what I believe has really become an issue across the entire NBA these days. And that's these superstars jumping from team to team, basically just being mercenaries, you know, signing with a new team every two years, not, and I'm not criticizing anyone, you know, it's, it's their, that is at their discretion. Yeah. It's up to, it's up to these players, obviously at the end of the day, to determine where they want to work as a professional. But uh, there is something to be said about loyalty. And I know a lot of older fans across all sports definitely value that a lot. And I do think it's pretty unique how Denver was able to draft the correct guys, maintain the correct guys and develop them internally, stick with the same exact coach that they originally hired five years ago. And I saw, you you gotta love uh, when you see articles like this, 
that definitely exemplify how little some of these journalists actually know in actuality. Um, and it was it was a sports columnist talking about how despite some some good talent that they'd acquired in the draft, the Denver Nuggets would never be able to get over the hump due to the fact that they had a subpar head coach. And uh, obviously they did what a lot of teams did do not do nowadays, and they stuck with the same coach, stuck with the same players, and were finally able to get over the hump. And, and I wonder if it's, and hopefully it's going to lead to kind of a shift in the NBA landscape where there's going to be more value placed on continuity, uh, whether that be from your players, from your front office, or from your coaching staff. Um, but clearly, you know, staying the course does pay dividends in some some instances, as it did obviously last night with the Denver Nuggets bringing home the hardware. Uh, so I kind of want to hear your thoughts real quick before we dump into some heavier stuff on the pod. Yeah, uh, definitely some great thoughts there. Aside from what you didn't say, which was good amount good good uh good summary there synopsis Thank yeah you. i would agree i think it just wasn't jimmy butler's series he's been a dog all playoffs but he kind of wasn't there when when they needed him um and then outside of that i'd say jokic obviously phenomenal can't ask for much more out of your starting player and uh back to you talking about the coach i heard the interview during the game and he was talking about Jokic and some of the things he loves about his game and his him as a person is he has not changed under the spotlight. He is, you know, fame can kind of change a player. It can put him on a different trajectory, but he is a very hardworking dude. He's humble. He's a great teammate. Those are the type of things you love out of your star player. And back to what you were saying about the franchise, I think it's definitely incumbent upon their leader, a.k.a. Jokic, to exemplify those traits I just mentioned. And so I'm looking forward to how this, how this dynasty hopefully plays out because I think it would be cool to see a new dynasty build in the NBA. I feel like the last one was kind of the, the Warriors, and since then we haven't really – they've been struggling for the, to find the next one. Maybe this is it. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's well said. Um, obviously you've spent a lot of time in Colorado. Uh, so I'm sure you got a soft spot in your heart for that Nuggets organization. And, uh, I think we're both, we're both happy, right? That I mean, I'm definitely take I'm definitely glad that that's a team that was able to get their first championship as, aside, as a, as compared to, seeing a team win it for the 10th time in 25 years, which I feel like is, is more so of what we've been seeing recently. Absolutely. And quick side note, another interesting thing from the game was the graphic that was showing the all-time player efficiency ratings in the NBA Finals, or, or maybe it was the playoffs, I can't remember. Surprising name on there, and I want to know your thoughts on this, Anthony Davis behind Jokic, LeBron, and Jordan. That is interesting to hear. And... Um, I have a bittersweet viewing of Anthony Davis and his game and his contributions to the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, obviously, he was he was integral in helping them get that Mickey Mouse ring back in 2020. Uh, a lot of people, including myself, do put an asterisk on that title. So there's a lot of people that would say, you know, Anthony Davis came over for one reason and one reason only from New Orleans to the Lakers, and that was to bring a title back to L.A. Uh, conventional argument would be that he achieved that. Um, but I do think that a lot of people, especially the Lakers faithful, have been a bit underwhelmed when it comes to Anthony Davis. One, and obviously this is not in his control, but there is, whether, whether you love it or not, there is always going to be a bit of an asterisk on that 2020 title. And then since that point, he's really struggled to stay on the floor. And when you can't stay on the floor consistently, it's hard to produce consistently, which he's had a hard time doing as well. Um, when he puts up good numbers, which it seems like he does about 50% of the games in the postseason over the past few years, he's obviously one of the best players to ever step on a basketball court, which I think that stat that you just rattled off obviously supports but um i don't necessarily view him in the same lens as those other three guys um but obviously with jokic now getting his title uh 
you do kind of push Jokic up another level on the all-time rankings because now he's got the two MVPs, a finals MVP and a finals victory under his belt. I think he's only 27 years old, I want to say. He's which, got a long career ahead of him. Yeah, and, and you, would, you would think that his game is going to age extremely well just based on style of play. So it'll be awesome. I think it's great for the NBA to, to have someone that's got drafted and stuck with their organization and was able to actually finish the job. Um, so I'm excited for the NBA. And I will say, I think the NBA really needs it, Drew. And this will be my final thought on this. Um, but I will say game four, and this is just uh, a telling metric, I think. So I did want to bring it up. Game four was the lowest watched NBA Finals game since 2007, which you might have even been too young back Not then. surprised. Exactly. I agree. And that's why I did want to bring it up. Um, for the record, that 2007 Finals was when LeBron, when it was like 23 years old and he was playing against the Spurs. Um, so you probably were too young to even be watching that game. Um, but yeah, over the last five years, there's definitely been a huge and, and consistent decline in NBA view, viewership. And I think a large part of that is, one, based on what I said earlier, where there's not really any loyalty in the league anymore. So fans probably lose some interest in their own personal teams when they're, you know, having to cheer for a new star player every year or two based on how free agency goes. And secondly, is because of the quality of basketball itself. I do think there's been... Um, a decline in the amount of defense that gets played on a nightly basis. It's not as much of an issue in the postseason, but it's very existent and prevalent. And um, I do think fans obviously are not as happy with the product as they were, call it 10 years ago. Um, so it's interesting to hear about those kind of viewership numbers and how, how they're still going in the wrong direction. But, I, but part of me does like to believe that Jokic winning this thing is great for the NBA happy for the Nuggets, and hopefully it's a trend that continues and maybe it'll impact it in the uh, viewership totals as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think you summed it up pretty well there. I think there are all kinds of things kind of playing into this decline in the NBA right now in terms of viewership and overall league support. Just to bring up some specifics here, when we're talking about this player efficiency rating stat, so you got Jordan, who's at a 28.6. You got LeBron right behind him at a 27.95. Jokic is a 29.02. That's kind of nuts. I mean, to, to, to be a full, in a different ballpark, a full point ahead of Jordan is kind of nuts. And that's, yeah, that is full season, I believe. And that just goes to show we have a real superstar on our, on our hands. And I think the most interesting part about it is he's not flashy. He's not the type of guy you'd think would be the superstar. He's got a very old school game with a little bit of the kind of new technique, finesse style sprinkled into it. But I think it's really going to show how this kind of stretch big who can handle the ball, who can pass and do all these amazing things on the basketball court is, is coming back and kind of dominating the league right now. So just wanted to highlight that. And then just a final point on what you're saying about the NBA right now. I'm, uh, I'm kind of fed up with it myself. I think the game is not only getting soft for a variety of reasons, whether it's the foul calling or um, they're, what they're doing in the, with politics and outside the court. I think you have the thing about sports, and I think the thing they need to keep in mind is that your viewers come from all kinds of different backgrounds. They have all kinds of different beliefs. And so I think when you tie into one, you know, whether it be political or any type of narrative, you're going to automatically lose some of your fans. And I think that's, that's kind of the biggest issue going on. But then I also think the other, the, the other piece of it is like what I was saying before, the style of the game is getting less fun to watch. No one wants to watch some guys going, jogging up and down the court, not even hustling, yucking up threes. And the competitive spirit of the game, obviously you see it in the playoffs, but in the regular season, it's non-existent. Well, so those are my thoughts there. And I do want to, I do want to ask you a follow-up question on one point you just brought up because I think it's a great point. Uh, 
and that's in regards to the style of play. And I think something that is unique, a problem that is unique to the NBA, that is certainly not the case in other leagues, is how unimportant the regular season actually is. And this postseason gave us the best and most prime example to date that I can think of um, to showcase this point, where you've got the Miami Heat, who lost their first play-in game to the Atlanta Hawks. So then they got to go battle it out with Chicago, and they almost lost that game. It was a three-point game with three minutes left in the play-in game against the Chicago Bulls and the Miami Heat. And then the Heat obviously win that game, get in as the eight seed, and then go on a run that we haven't really ever seen many eight seeds make before. So you definitely got to give them their flowers and their credit because that was an impressive run by the Heat. Um, but how is that team who was almost not even in the playoffs capable of making that run? And I think it's because you got guys like Jimmy Butler, who, who's a veteran and has kind of figured it out. It's like the only thing they're going to care about when it comes to Hall of Fame voting, um, giving you know me my next contract is truly the product that I put on display in the two months of the postseason when it really counts. LeBron has made a career off of this mentality in which it's like as bad as it sounds you kind of just got to get to the postseason and then the better team's going to win in a seven game series so I think that the NBA has got to try and figure out a way how to fix that and they've tried to implement a few things starting next year for all to, in order to make an all NBA team you've, you've got to play a minimum number of games and we'll see what what impact that kind of makes but yeah um, there, it's definitely going to be an uphill battle for the NBA in that regard agreed yeah It'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the next few years. I know that kind of reminds me, the, the MLB recently, not recently, but over the past, I want to say 15, 10, 15 years had a similar thing where I think it started to uh, lose a lot of interest and it was kind of at a low point, it, it, at least it seemed like. And then recently it's gotten this spark of energy and I think as much as it is the new rules that have been put in place in terms of speeding up the game, making it a little more interesting, um, the culture around it with the bat flipping and the celebrating that attracts the young audience and makes it a little bit more fun. But then also just the, the mentality of the star players. You got these guys out here who will, I know Jordan, one of my favorite quotes and things he says is, I know someone new is, is gonna be watching me in person every single time I step on the court. So I got to give that person my all. And I think that's might be part of what's missing. Um, so, so I will say my thoughts. So I will say one thing um, when it comes to that, I do think a lot of times older generations of players love to make themselves look great, given the fact that time heals all wounds. So it's, it's hard to remember mistakes Jordan might've made 25 years ago. Uh, and people tend to kind of romanticize the past. Like if that were, if that might be a quote Michael Jordan said, but he was also notorious for being out at the casino or even on the golf course boozing the day of a game. And then he'd go drop 50. I would agree. And, <laughs> and it's not like these guys aren't trying, but definitely the load management and the defense is, is where I would start when it comes to, to finding things to fix. Um, in order to kind of not necessarily save the game, but to uh, kind of get it trending back in the right direction. Agreed. Um, Drew, with that being said, I think that just about does it for sports talk and sports coverage today. Uh, unfortunately, with the NHL Stanley Cup wrapping up too, I feel like we're kind of coming out of the what I like to consider the best part of the sports calendar uh, every year. Except for the College Baseball World Series, for those who care, which I'm sure is a smaller audience, but very fun to watch. Um, yeah, no, we'll be watching. I believe the the Texas Longhorns are still making a run at that thing. They actually lost a top one last night on, it was 6-6 in the bottom of the ninth. The guy skied a pop fly. It was about dawn. They lost oh. it in the air, and it dropped for the walk-off. Tough way to end your season. That's really tough. Yeah, you don't see a ton of, of, of missed routine fly balls at that level. But, um, damn, you just uh, killed my vibe. Should have told me after the show. <laughs> um, Drew, no. Uh, 
I did just want to make sure we kind of we kind of dug into our thoughts on the finals, obviously. But you and I both have a have a big passion for the game of basketball and want to see it played the correct way. I did get a call after uh, the premiere episode from a listener of ours who was very upset that he listened all the way to the end and at that point still did not know who we were who we were uh, putting our money on in the NBA finals. So I definitely do want to make sure. As much as we love to, you know, get into some of the, the deeper questions facing life in this world, um, we do want to make sure we cover some sports as well because you are a student athlete at the end of the day. Very true. Um, All righty. Oh, by the way, that reminds me. Uh, I saw some very cool stuff on social media the other day that made me think of you. Uh, and this will wrap it up for our sports talk. Sports talk, I lied um, when I just said we were done. You had a former teammate at Kenyon who transferred to Duke, correct? Yes, sir. And he's now pitching, uh, making a college World Series run? They actually had their season ended two days ago, unfortunately. But yes, he by the end of the season, he was their ace due to partially because of injury. But he had a phenomenal season, and it was awesome to watch a guy jump from the D3 level to dominating on a team, making a run in the postseason for a high D1 program. Yeah, I mean, Duke is a hell of a brand to be associated with. Um, and the fact that he wasn't just a riding pine there and he was actually one of their you know most impactful players this year, um, that's pretty awesome. Go Owls. Um, <laughs> I did want to ask you, though, after I saw that, does that kind of, because I know you, you might have gotten a little bit of eligibility from uh, that COVID-19 situation from a few years ago. I believe you missed your freshman year, correct? Yes. Um, well, luckily it was just, it was for your protection. <laughs> uh, no, I, I did want to ask though, because um, you do have a couple years of eligibility left. When you see something like that, obviously it's got to be somewhat encouraging or inspirational, but would you ever consider, you know, looking at other options once your career at Kenyon kind of wraps up? Absolutely. And I think the sports, the college sports world today is turning into almost similar to the professional league where if you don't make it by a certain age, um, people think that you're done, your career is over. But as we're seeing with Alex Gal, for example, there is a lot of a lot of sports to be to be played, and it's nice to see that because a lot of times today, like I said earlier, if you're not the superstar by an early age, you're kind of ruled out. So yeah, definitely definitely awesome to see. And in terms of where the future takes us, in terms of post grad, I'll just leave it at we shall see. Yeah, I guess we'll have to defer to our buddy time to answer that one. Very true. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a little different for position players compared to being a pitcher as well. Um, but yeah, well, like like you said, I think you summed it up well. We shall see. Um, shifting over topics here, Drew. Uh, I I listened back to our recording uh, when I was trying to see how we could make some improvements for episode two. Um, so I went back and listened to episode one. And there was a word that I counted you saying six times in the 57 minutes that we were recording. And that phrase or word rather was maybe. And uh, <laughs> something tells me that's going to be a recurring theme. Uh, it's kind of a running inside joke between the two of us. So before it gets dropped any more times, uh, for the sake of our listeners, I'm going to go ahead and give them some context on what maybe means from the very wise Alan Watts. Once upon a time, there was a Chinese farmer who uh, lost a horse, ran away. And all the neighbors came around that evening and said, that's too bad. And he said, maybe. The next day, the horse came back and brought seven wild horses with it. And all the neighbors came around and said, why, that's great, isn't it? And he said, maybe. The next day, his son was attempting to tame one of these horses and was riding it. 
and was thrown and broke his leg. And all the neighbors came round in the evening and said, well, that's too bad, isn't it? And the farmer said, maybe. And the next day, the conscription officers came around looking for people for the army. And they rejected his son because he had a broken leg. And all the neighbors came around that evening and said, isn't that wonderful? And he said, maybe. <laughs> The whole process of nature is an integrated process of immense complexity and it is really impossible to tell whether anything that happens in it is good or bad because you never know what will be the consequences of a misfortune or you never know what will be the consequences of good fortune. Maybe. <laughs> um, no, I did. Uh, I, you know, I'm always looking for an opportunity to get some wisdom from Mr. Alan Watts out there. Um, for those of you that don't know, Alan Watts, according to Wikipedia, was an English writer, speaker, and self-styled philosophical entertainer known for interpreting and popularizing Japanese, Chinese, and Indian traditions of Buddhist, Taoist, and Hindu philosophy for a Western audience. Um, so yeah, he was a professor in the United States in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, um, who's become very popular recently with some of his old lectures getting transcribed over to YouTube videos. And that one has got to be personally my favorite, but I'm assuming one of yours as well. Um, I just think it's a great mentality and philosophy and approach really just for life uh never to get too high or too low and just always keep in mind that something that may seem amazing in the moment might really come back to bite you in the ass in the long run and vice versa something that seems to be a dire situation might just be the best thing that's ever happened to you so uh anytime you hear us saying maybe from here on out that uh is always what we're referencing there <laughs> Yes, sir. Maybe. It's, it's a great thing to live by. And kind of like you said, you summed it up well. But he he really brought Eastern philosophy to the Western world. And that will be his legacy. And like Mike said, it's great to always keep in mind that although something may seem one way, it could very well turn out in the long run to be the best or worst thing that ever happened to you. And especially in today's world, when we have so much information coming at us so rapidly, I think it's critical to always be able to take the step back and say, hmm, that's interesting, but we'll see how it plays out. Never, like you said, get too high or too low and maintain that even keel. Sounds eerily similar to stoicism, if you ask me. A lot of similarities. Certainly. Um, all right, Drew, I was at a wedding this weekend. And I had a dear friend of mine in my ear the majority of the evening. And uh, obviously, a lot of what he was saying was how happy he was for the couple um, <laughs> that we were there to celebrate. Um, but he also probably was spewing in my ear for about an hour about aliens. And I know you're a big science guy. Uh, you're more so on the technological side. But I got to hear your thoughts here because according to my friend, um, shout out Miles Rice, uh, we're, we're, he's coming on the pod in the near future to share his thoughts. Um, however, for the interim between you and me, I got to hear your thoughts here on aliens and as to whether you've been following any of these recent developments on this front um, because there has been a whistleblower from the government as of late taking some findings and some information to the media and making it publicly available for the first time. And it seems pretty inarguable, according to this whistleblower, that aliens have arrived, they are communicating, they are interacting with us, uh, all the above, and that it is an in inevitability that it's going to be something we're going to be really just dealing with for the, <laughs> for the rest of our lifetimes. Um, and what, do you, what do you make of any of that? Yeah, it's kind of astounding all that you hear about aliens, UFOs, all that kind of stuff. It really makes you wonder, are this many people that crazy or is it something that's legit and has been here and that the government is keeping a secret? 
Obviously, when it comes to that, it does make sense that if they did exist, it would be kept secret for reasons that I'm sure everyone can imagine. Like but, what? I don't know. Lots of different reasons. Imagine if everyone found that. That'd be some crazy news to just break. And so I wonder if it's something that's been around for a while and they just kind of kept it quiet for too long to the point where it almost became a nuisance or an issue if they released it that late or if it's something where they found something out that they just really never wanted to release. Um, And then that brings me to my other point where I always think back to the Fermi paradox and it makes sense, right, that, that aliens are here and that some – I mean, you think about how – I'm sure everyone's seen the video on, on Instagram or some form of social media that zooms out from the Earth to the entire observable universe. And like the Fermi paradox says, there is a almost 100% ch- – as close as you can get to 100% chance that other life exists in the world. Um, chances are – a lot of life exists, and if you assume any rate of technological process, uh, technological innovation, I mean, you see where our society's at, and then you think about these older galaxies or ones that have been around for longer, you'd think one of them has to reach a point, whether it's through quantum computing, which um, if you want, we can get into later, but reach that level of technology that allows them to break that barrier of intergalactic travel. So that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And I'd love for you to fill me in more on these latest developments. Okay. Um, we definitely will get into quantum uh, computing, but let's go step by step here. Um, because as I mentioned, when I first brought up the question, this Marine, this U.S. Marine has recently come forward um, as a whistleblower with a lot of information pertaining to UFOs and alien life and activity as well in general. And let's just preface this, because I know this will really uh, get your thoughts flowing here. Um, let's go over here on my laptop that we are recording from, Drew, and I just want you, with your own two eyes, to take a look at this. His full interview was posted from Newsmax onto YouTube. Let's pull this up real quick. And when we go to YouTube, ah, Well, that's always interesting. Um, Video unavailable on YouTube. It has been taken off the platform. And (laughs) that right there, I will say, I've had a rule of thumb over the past couple of years. Anytime a certain narrative or a certain amount of information um, saying one thing is censored and taken down off a platform, which seems to be happening more and more commonly, Uh, in our society, unfortunately, over the past couple of years. Uh, That's kind of when my ears perk up because when people are trying to silence a specific point of view or perspective or certain information from getting out, to me, it really just begs the question as to why they are trying to keep that story quiet. So I've never been the biggest alien guy. However, I do think um, that obviously is a bit particular and alarming. And with that being said, I do also like what you said uh, in terms of like keeping in perspective how big the universe actually is and the likelihood of other life being out there. There's this alien movie from the 90s called Contact starring the one and only Matthew McConaughey, University of Texas legend. Um, And there's a quote in it and they say, I don't know if there's other life out there, but if there's not, that'd be an awfully big waste of space, which I think is like the perfect way to sum it out, sum it up. Life or, you know, the universe and space itself are so vast, it'd it'd almost be naive to think that and narcissistic and egotistical to think that we are all alone out here. Um, So that's kind of the approach I've always taken in regards to my opinion about extraterrestrial life. Um, But in regards to the whistleblower and what information that they were sharing to the world that um, YouTube did not want to get shared further um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read you the heavy hitters from the transcript here. All right. Um, okay. According to this whistleblower, he's investigated this topic for four years uh, before believing it is credible and 100% factual. Then submitted a report to the Department of De- Defense Oversight Director, um, which it was 
determined in 2023, 2023 as credible and urgent. And that has now been forwarded along to Congress. So it's making its way up the ranks. And these are some of the findings that were included in this report. In 1933, 1933, so before World War II even, a craft was recovered in Italy by Mussolini's forces and intercepted by the United States. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of startling, actually. The Vatican was the one who informed the United States of what the Italian government now had in its possession. The Vatican helped suppress this find. This means the Vatican does indeed know there is non-human intelligence that exists and is actively helping to cover this up. Um, according to this whistleblower, these non-human intelligence forms may be alien or they may be interdimensional or both. Um, there was a football field-sized craft that has been sighted. Um, that's also included in this report. Um, NHI, do you know what that means, Drew? No. Non-human intelligence, so basically aliens. Occupant bodies have been recovered by the U.S. government. Existing formal relationships slash agreements with some non-human intelligence factions, agreements that risk putting our future in jeopardy. Um, according to the whistleblower, not all of these alien factions are peaceful. The U.S. government have killed people to keep this information suppressed. Surprise, surprise. Nukes are an ongoing concern to these aliens. Private enterprises and corporations are working with this technology, aerospace and defense projects. And he also claims that Roswell, the Roswell incident, which is one of the main UFO incidents in American history, in 1947 did happen as reported previously, even though it's been denied um, or been the topic of ongoing debate for a long time now, ever since it happened. Those are kind of the main points. Um, kind of interesting to hear how it begins really back, like I said, before the before World War II, even, with, even to see Mussolini's name mentioned um, back in 1933, that's how long he's saying this contact has been going back for, um, which if that's the case, that's freaking crazy. Um, but yeah, obviously we want to be objective. We're not wearing our tinfoil hats in the studios right now yet, but I do want to hear your opinion on this. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's crazy to begin with. I think the most alarming piece is about the YouTube video that is completely taken off. And I just showed you. I wish we had video going for this episode. But yeah, um, that happened in real time. Yeah, so that's that's the first thing that's crazy. Um, outside of that, it reminds me of Bob Lazar, which I don't know if you've looked into that. But Dude, his Rogan is all time, his Rogan episode. Right? And so it really makes you, the amount of people who have gone to lengths to try and diminish his credibility to try and prove that he was never a specialist, never worked at Area 51. That's what comes to mind. And so it is certainly to be taken with a grain of salt always just because it just as likely as it would be for, for this all this stuff to actually exist. There's also the other narrative where these people are just simply trying to seek attention. However, like I said earlier, the amount of things that you hear about this, it cannot go unnoticed. And so this is yet another example, and it seems almost more credible, especially considering the length they've gone to remove this video you were about to show me from YouTube. And so that definitely brings up a couple questions. And then I guess, so those are my initial thoughts. The Bob Lazar one's interesting because he's been on this for a while. He, he, he's been saying they absolutely exist. I was assigned to reverse engineer these supposed propulsion vehicles and you don't hear about them all that much outside of the Netflix documentary. So clearly they've done a good job kind of hiding it. If it is true, who knows, but this is certainly just, maybe it'll go down as another guy who's crazy and delusional and, and making shit up or who knows, it might be the, the kind of another piece of the pudding that leads us to where I think we both kind of think, yeah, the, the truth. actual yeah, yeah. The truth. Yeah, and um, that's a good way to look at it because I think anytime people are taking information public, there's there's two common rationales that 
these whistleblowers, we'll call them, would typically have, and that's either going to be they're doing it out of the out of their duty to the rest of the human species and, and trying to get the real truth out there that's being suppressed, um, whether that be by corporations or governments or whatever it may be, um, or it's a lunatic trying to just make a name for themselves and seek fame and attention. Um, when it comes to Bob Lazar, he, yeah, I don't know if you've watched his three-hour interview on Rogan, but on Joe Rogan. I need um, to. Yeah, you would definitely enjoy that. But yeah, in that interview, he definitely seemed like he was trying to sh- bring this information to the public for the right reasons. Um, and Bob Lazar, for those of you that don't know, back in... Um, I think the 60s or the 70s, yeah, he was a contractor hired by the U.S., according to him, a contractor hired by the U.S. government um, to work on a secret project. And then that project turned out to be, like Drew said, reverse engineering propulsion systems. Spacecrafts. Yeah, Yeah. essentially for spacecrafts that he claims the technology that existed on these things has never been seen or replicated since um, in human technology. Honestly... I'd like always, like I said, what my opinion is on aliens at the start of this conversation. I've always assumed that they're probably out there, but then also assume that it's never going to really make any actual impact on my day-to-day life um, and that it's not necessarily even really anything I lost all that much sleep over or even thought about um, at that deep of a level. But of course, I feel like over the, since... 2020, several of these quote-unquote conspiracy theories that like people were labeled as lunatics for even imagine five years ago, we would never be having a conversation this seriously when it came when it comes to aliens. However, now it almost seems as it's inarguable to say that it's not like a realistic thought or a realistic possibility, um, and I think it's pretty peculiar how this. Over the last two year, two to three years, this is really the first time in our in in the history, uh, at least of our country, where the government itself is at least in some capacity acknowledging UFOs, which which I think is just perfect timing, right? With all the other fucking shit that that we've got going on in the world right now, let's go ahead and add aliens into the mix. Um, but I mean, this is like I said, it got brought to my attention on Saturday. These recent developments in the alien. Uh, in the alien discussion, and I'm, I'm going to be paying close attention to this because um, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Just some other thoughts I was thinking of as you were going there. I can totally buy the argument how 50 years ago or, or back then where it's they're seeing these crazy vehicles or space or, or sp- seemingly space video, vehicles or whatever they are. And they're just the U.S.'s most advanced forms of jets or – because these things can travel fast as hell. And if you haven't seen one, it certainly looks extraterrestrial. It, it moves at crazy – well, well, well above the speed of sound. And it is – sorry about that little in, incoming call there. But like I said so, – so I can buy that one. But – This is our first ever inbound call to the pod. Max. Max Klein. Yes. What's going down? You're on the pod. Oh, we're, we're, we're live right now? We are live, Turbo. We need your thoughts on aliens, yes or no, real or fake. Say, what's the topic of discussion here? What, what, what do you want me to spit? Aliens. I think they are absolutely, uh, there's a massive cover-up going on, in my opinion, of some sorts. There's clearly some type, I mean, we're in the universe, there has to be some other living species or being out there. And, uh, and as of late, this, this new info that's been popping up is pretty, pretty interesting to see. I read something actually the other day that said, like, the, the Vatican somehow brokered a deal with, like, the Italians of the U.S. government. I don't know if you read that. Max, we were just le- reading that live on air, believe it or not. Oh, yeah, that was, that was, that was freaking me out. You want to hear something? You want to hear something that's even fucking crazier about that? Let's hear it. Go to YouTube and try and open up the video in which the guy says that from this uh, Newsweek, which is like this guy got interviewed on Newsweek and originally was making his claims. It's no longer available on YouTube. Oh, they're scrubbing it? They're scrubbing it. Wow. Um, well, then maybe, this, maybe it's got some legs to it after all. 
Maybe. Well, we're going to get to the bottom of it and figure out whether they're real or not here. Um, but yeah, thanks All for right, calling we'll keep, in. Keep digging through the pod. I'm looking forward to listening to the episode. Max, we look forward to you listening. All right, catch you guys later. Uh, we encourage all live calls during uh, mic'd up recording sessions. We will never say no to a phone call. Um, Max Klein, very accomplished young professional here in the Chicago land area. Um, thank you for sharing your thoughts. But Drew, sorry, Max, cut you off there. You were kind of on a great tangent. Yeah, but, I mean, but just just to wrap it up. So basically, where I'm at is I can buy I can buy the stories where you see weird objects, and it turns out to just be the latest technology from the U.S. government. But recently, it, 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 it it's just it's too much, right? And and you see certain things, and you hear certain stories where it's like, okay, something's definitely going on here, or at least it appears so. And no one's really came out. One thing I've noticed, no one's really came out and said, hey, now nah, they, they don't exist. Like they don't. So that, that, that's another thing I think about. But yeah, definitely a lot of interesting stuff going on in that realm. And I'm curious to see how it, this video plays out, whether it just wipes over or becomes a big thing. So I, I guess we'll see. Um, yeah, we're going to have to stay tuned on this one. Uh, I've no doubts that it will be interesting to follow. Uh, as more and more stuff comes out, I know, I know for a fact a few subsequent whistleblowers have come public also with uh, from either the military or the government with uh, their own thoughts and additional information that they've been sitting on as it pertains to UFOs and alien intelligence uh, or alien life, I should say. But yeah, sounds like um, sounds like you, Max, and I kind of all agree on this one. Um, Speaking of aliens and conspiracies, I, uh, I came across a wild one the other day. <laughs> and I don't know if you, this is one I had not heard anything of um, until I came across this. I think it was last week. Uh, I actually had a friend of mine, too, at, at that same wedding. Uh, that's why we need Miles on the pod. But he, he, was, he was aware of this theory floating out there as well. And... I'll basically just summarize it and I got to hear your thoughts because it definitely has some big names in there. And this part is true. So it turns out Donald Trump has a uncle who used to work in the FBI and some other government organ or government uh, agencies back in the 40s. And he, his uh, Donald Trump's uncle, who I mean by he, um, was required to go search and clean up and examine, whatever you want to call it, Nikola Tesla's laboratory after, wow. after Nikola Tesla died. So here's this little synopsis. In early 1943, two days after the death of Nikola Tesla, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, also known as the FBI, ordered the Office of Alien Property Custodian to seize Tesla's belongings. Trump was called in to analyze the Tesla artifacts which were being held in government custody. After a three-day investigation, Trump's report concluded that there was nothing which would constitute a hazard in unfriendly hands. <laughs> so that's where I, I would say that's enough to really get my head spinning. Um, the rest of this theory that I saw on the internet, obviously we don't believe everything you see on the internet, but this guy was going running crazy with this thought pro, with this thought here, um, saying that he, that he was a believer that the Trump family, the Trump family because of this, was in possession of a time machine, um, or at the very least, able to communicate directly with alien life forms. Um, I don't want to get too in the weeds on those. Uh, those I would actually consider bad conspiracy theories. But the uh, the overall connection between Tesla and and the Trump name to just see that and know that that's actually legitimate is actually kind of freaking crazy. It is crazy. I mean, I know I know a ton about Tesla just from all the all the stuff I've looked into him on, and I and I definitely knew about the the seizing. I had no idea that Trump's uncle was one of the people who was involved in that seizing, which is crazy. I think the conspiracy theories are a little crazy, but I do know for a fact, not for a fact, but at least I think for a fact that. Tesla was on to some crazy inventions. You hear about, I mean, the, the, the lengths that his, his 
enemies went to to keep his stuff under wraps. I don't know if you've looked into the J.P. Morgan slash Thomas Edison uh, involvement in that affair, but he was so ahead of his time. He had 300-plus patents of which were involved in that FBI seizing and no one's no one's known where they, where they've gone, and and I think the more believable conspiracy theory here, if it isn't even is, who 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 has access to these, and what companies are profiting off of Tesla's inventions that we've never heard about or seen? I think it's the Trump organization, possibly. <laughs> um, no, I, I. You know what's crazy, and I always think about. I probably didn't know who Nikola Tesla was until I was 23 years old. You'll never find him in a textbook, that's that, for sure. Yeah, and that's and that I think yeah, it's super telling um, as to why this, there's this guy who apparently is one of the most accomplished and brilliant minds of the 20th century, if not history, and he's pretty much been completely wiped out <laughs> of American history textbooks and science textbooks. And I, by the way, now knowing the historical context that I do. Talk about the ultimate fuck you from Elon Musk naming his huge EV company Tesla, um, who pretty much was like a not like I didn't know what he was referencing when I heard what Tesla was for the first time. Um, and that I think in large part is is due to the fact that, yeah, Nikola Tesla has been seemingly whitewashed from uh, the history textbooks. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if a large factor driving that was uh, Thomas Edison. Absolutely. That's another reason I, I love Musk. And he, you know, Tesla is clearly a huge inspiration of his. And that's what that's why I, in part I, I that's why in part I do love Musk, because he's kind of bringing back that super obviously super genius mentality where he does not have or at least it seems as if you never really know. But deep financial kind of profit-seeking motives behind his inventions. He's really after the good for humanity, and that's that's what Tesla was all about. I mean, he, he died broke, and he didn't care. All he cared about was his inventions, and that's what meant a lot to him, and I think I see a lot of resemblances between Musk and Tesla, and it is interesting how you never really hear about these guys in school while they're kind of, they're never in the history textbooks, that's for sure, um, when if you really reflect on it, it seems like these are the guys who we should be looking up to as opposed to, you know, the JP Morgans who clearly have a profit seeking, purely profit seeking motive, trying to close off the public from these new inventions because of the fact that it would make his own business less profitable. And so I think it's a, it's, it's fairly telling and it's very interesting. And I think it's not talked about enough. So I know we started with the uh, conspiracy theory you brought up, but it does lead into a lot of interesting discussions about Tesla himself um, and just the overall impact he, and the type of guy he was. Yeah. Um, no, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And, and like I said, I, I don't think I knew who Tesla was until my early to mid twenties, uh, which is saying something. And obviously now after kind of conducting my own research, seeing how influential of an individual this person was on the, on the American scientific community during his lifetime. Um, the fact that like Thomas Edison's name is cemented in history as some iconic, um, inventor and really the father of bringing electricity to all of us, which very may well be, could be true. However, um, it does seem like there, there was another figure who kind of got left behind when it comes to the praise that he probably should have been receiving. What's crazy is that Edison was, in fact, the first to find electricity, but the way we have it today is all due to Tesla. What Originally, Edison had was a one-way circuit, which was very faulty and not reliable at all. And Tesla was the one who actually brought the two-way circuit, which we still have today. Everyone's seen the Tesla coil. So he was really the pioneer in maybe not the first to get there, but the one who actually found the proper way to harness and utilize energy, which ultimately led to the everything we see today technological wise i mean there's nothing that doesn't rely on energy so yeah um and i and 
and even in addition to that, I've, I've heard about some of his inventions and obviously some of this could probably be dubbed up as speculative at best um, from just, you know, people on the Internet. But um, it does seem there, there does seem to be some credibility to the take that he was in the process of or fin- finalizing um, the technology behind creating universally available energy and electricity for the entire world. And um, according to theories that I've read, um, despite being able to harness this unbelievable power, which would be so instrumental and beneficial to all of mankind, uh, there were some nefarious motives at play by some of the capitalist top dogs in the United States at the time who couldn't sit well with the idea thinking of giving away a commodity that they could monetize for themselves. And it makes total sense, right? Like the way, the way we, we kind of alluded to it in episode one, but the way you make money is by solving a problem that's there. And as soon as that problem is gone, there's no way to profit on it. And so if Tesla did in fact come across this way to universally distribute ener- energy, like you said, now you can't make money. And it might seem like, oh, you don't, you don't pay that much for electricity or whatever it may be. But I'll, t- I'll tell you what, it, it is the foundation of, of everything in society if you really think about it. And if you can't profit off that, th- there's a lot of money to be made there. And so it does make sense. And I don't want to get into like some of the conspiracy theories on like cancer research, potential yeah, yeah, yeah. cures for various things. But it, there's no denying that at the very least, there is in fact an incentive behind not releasing cures for things, for example, or, or, or things that are solutions for things that are currently being profited off of. Definitely. And, and, and that's something I, I definitely want to spend a lot of time on um, next week when we're talking to this friend of mine. Um, the CrossFit trainer who has been studying nutrition in some capacity since the day I met him our sophomore year of high school. Because I think that what you just said is extremely prevalent in health and nutrition uh, in the United States nowadays where a, a healed patient is no longer a customer, right? Like as bad as it may sound, don't get me wrong, there's tons of good doctors, there's tons of good people out there that want to do the right thing, but it does seem at least in some capacity that in certain instances, financial motives (laughs) for the most part, um, take priority over an individual's health, which is really disheartening and really sad. Um, but it does seem to be existent in some way, shape or form in this world nowadays. Absolutely. And I think there are a lot of different avenues you can go down when you when you talk about this. I think it's it, it, it's kind of everywhere. And so before we get into it too deep, I think that's that the, the first one we just covered with with Tesla. It might be something that's rooted into the history of this country. And while you can't maybe point to any conclusive absolute evidence, it's definitely something to to be aware of and. It always it leads you to be skeptical of where where people point consumers because at the end of the day they might not have your best interest in mind they might have actually your worst interest in mind so that bad things happen which point you to their another company that oh they own under the same umbrella that they can profit off of. So Wait, do you think that's why they put Twinkies in the first aisle at the grocery store? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, right? Like all these people who say they have our best, they have our best health interests in mind are the same ones promoting a lot of things that are, are proven and known to be bad for you. So a lot, lot of conflicts of interest. And then you bring the insurance piece into it and it gets super interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. And I feel like we could go on and on about about that hole. Down into the rabbit hole. Down into the rabbit hole. How deep does it go? Um, red pill. Red pill. <laughs> um, we might have to, we're probably going to have to have our own uh, full episode on that thought, though. Absolutely. Um, but with that being said, Drew, I think this has been fantastic. It's a pleasure chopping it up with you, as always. I'm glad we could get uh, Max Klein on the air for a bit as well. And uh really try and get to the bottom of what's going on on this alien front here these days. 
Absolutely. A lot of interesting things to discuss. Well, we didn't get to as many things as I feel like we normally do in our, in our conversations. I think we did a good job covering those few points and kind of sprinkling in some uh, interesting branches from those main topics we covered. And so, yeah, like you said, pleasure as always. Great chopping it up. And hopefully our audience enjoyed this episode. Like always, please let us know where we can improve, what topics you want to cover, et cetera. Um, yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, we will talk to everyone next week. Uh, episode will be released next Tuesday. And like I said, first ever special guest, Jack Hill, CrossFit instructor, Nutrier, lacrosse coach, certified yoga specialist. Um, he's going to teach us a little something about health and wellness. Thanks, y'all. Loading. <laughs>